The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Thank you. Be seated. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. Uh, as, as we look at these verses, remember the context that we've been seeing. We're, we're looking at what's called the Sermon on the Mount, but this is one of five discourses in the book of Matthew where Jesus is sitting down and teaching his disciples all about what it means to be a disciple, uh, what they're going to face as he sends them out. And the ultimate direction of this message or this, the gospel is Jesus ends with sending out th- these disciples to make more disciples. Uh, we, we have been saved to be sent out to make disciples. And this week, uh, we have the privilege of hearing from three, from Stephanie and from Kat and from Chase. Are they in here as well? Or did, you, did, they, did they chicken out? All right, come on up, guys. Y'all come sit in the front row. They're going to share with you about when they went to Beaumont on behalf of our church, which is a larger group, to, uh, to help and to serve others. And it's all a part of making disciples. It's being disciples and making disciples. There's, there's kind of two things that happens as they go down. One is they are serving those, uh, the family that they served in hopes that we can share the gospel with them and, and love them genuinely. Uh, it's part of them becoming disciples of Christ, but it's also a part of the church equipping our disciples to grow in, in their love of Christ and love of others. I'm going to invite Chase Hoffpower, and this is Stephanie Springer, and this is Kat Thomas. I failed to introduce y'all. If you'll grab that microphone and hand it to Chase, we'll ask Chase first. I just want to eat, ask each of you one question that we kind of want to hear from you. Chase, tell me just how did this trip to Beaumont um, affect you? Um, well, it... it it kind of taught me what a what a mission trip really was. I'm not just a, this was over two days, but you know, missions just not going to do a task. It's the it's the journey, uh, it's the whole journey getting there, and the and it's um, it teaches you. I mean, we learned about each other, and we we um, we changed somebody's somebody's life and lives, and it's it's. Um, More than just the task, it's the, it's the journey down there and learning, and and um, and then secondly that God, you know, showed up. These people were these people were desperate. They were reaching out uh, for about fifteen days to different to different uh, organizations, and the Church of Beaumont answered their call, and we showed up and gutted their house for them and got them a lot further along than than they were, and um, and I think they learned, and Kat will talk about how it change their their family but um just that you know god's good he shows up and that we are changed by a mission um just as we're helping others i think it helps us just as much yeah that's good cat <clears throat> tell us a little bit about how you think it impacted the, the people you were serving down there um well the hardy family uh when we showed up um had been working on their house and that whole neighborhood was destroyed so <clears throat> they they were tired. They were, you know, God sent us at just the right time because um, they needed lots of help. Um, so they were very grateful. They were very um, appreciative. As we were working, they they would say, you know, y'all are such a blessing. Y'all are such a godsend. We couldn't do this without y'all. Um, and I felt like just being, they were there while we were working on their house. And we were able to stop and visit with them, get to know them, 
pray with them, and um, it was very just impactful for them and for us. Uh, uh, I felt like by the end of the two days um, that God was there with us the whole time, and at the the prayer at the end when we were leaving, um, the whole family came, the, the children and everything, and we circled up and held hands, and um, uh, everybody said a little something in the prayer, and the father, Mr. Hardy, prayed last, and um, his words were just humbling, and they were just full of grace, and um, you could tell that the Lord was moving in that family and in their hearts, and um, I just pray that uh, that we brought them closer to the Lord. I know you did. Stephanie, why in the world would anyone want to go on a trip like this? That's a good question. Um, <clears throat> so it should come as no shock to anyone who knows me. Manual labor is not my favorite thing. And so when I heard of the trip, I was like, oh, that's amazing. And I'm going to pray for those people who go um, because they're called. And so... Um, when I left, when I heard about it, I went home and God was like, hey, psst, you need to go on that. And I was like, psst, no, I'm not. Um, I had stuff to do. Like, you know, I had a dance to chaperone and all kinds of stuff because I can always find something to do. Um, and so he just kept pestering really is the best word. Just you are supposed to go on this. You are supposed to go on this. You're supposed to be, you know, for a better term, boots on ground. Like you're supposed to be there. And so I said, okay. And so I went and it was amazing. Just like Chase said, just getting to know each other, um, just in a different avenue than just being in the church building. And then also just to represent Christ to those people who definitely needed it at that time. And so God definitely showed me that he can use anybody. Um, I had to take a lot of breaks to be honest, but, uh, <laughs> I still was in there and, you know, knocking down the walls, not as good as cat, but, um, and so it's definitely, if you're willing, he's going to use you and you are going to, you know, he's going to make you be a blessing to other people, even if you don't feel worthy. And so it was an amazing experience. That's awesome. Thank you all so much for going. Yeah. Give him a hand. <clears throat> I have two more questions I'll ask later. One is, where did you get the largest air mattress I've ever seen, Chase, with a headboard and everything? And Stephanie, did you actually wear boots when you were there, on boots on the ground? I'll, I'll get later. Huh? They were probably designer boots, I know. Okay, so uh, turn in your Bibles, uh, Matthew five twenty-seven through 30. Let me ask the Lord to bless us. Lord, I thank you so much for all the team that went down um, that, that served the Hardy family, that served you, that brought glory to your name. I know that they grew as uh, disciples for going down there and sacrificing their time, their energy, their sweat, their blood, their tears. Uh, Lord, I know that that's a part of, of the journey of being a disciple and growing as a disciple. Also, Lord, going in the name of Jesus and serving others' needs uh, so that someone who needs to know you love them and needs to know that you care for them, that that family heard and saw that message that weekend. And I know they prayed with them, and they know that it was the name of Jesus. And so I thank you for that, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're in our series of Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is not playing games. He will not let us be comfortable with just behavioral modification. Uh, Jesus, if you remember what he's been doing, he's been establishing his 
his authority, and with his authority, he's been establishing his standard of righteousness. And it's way deeper than the standard of righteousness that the religious leaders of the day were, were establishing. Because what they were doing is what we all do. We all, by human nature, we take rules and we interpret them and relax them. And uh, if it's a permission, we give much more permission. If it's a command or a restriction, we relax those in such a way that, is, that we can determine for ourselves that we can declare ourselves righteous. We can justify ourselves. We can climb this ladder and I can declare myself righteous. And when I declare myself righteous, I don't have to answer to a judge. In fact, I get to be the judge and I start judging you on your righteousness and it starts to be a, an ugly situation. And that's what human nature does. That's what our sin nature wants to do. We don't want to answer to a judge that declares us guilty of our sin. And so Jesus continually says, well, you've heard it said, but I say. And so he's saying, you've heard that your religious leaders say this. Well, I say this. And he establishes an alternative standard of righteousness. So look at what he does in verse 27. He says, you have heard it was said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. So Jesus is serious about this business. Remember last week he said, you've heard it say, don't murder. Well, I say, if you have anger in your heart, you've already committed murder in your heart. And so he is not satisfied with simple behavioral modification. He is going to the heart. Jesus is saying, if you are my disciple... It doesn't mean that you just clean up your outward behavior. Following Christ doesn't mean you keep your nose clean, you come to church, you put a little money in the offering basket, you go on a mission trip, and God's pleased with that, so you get to go to heaven. That is not what Jesus said. In fact, that's exactly the attitude and understanding that Jesus is hammering and destroying Jesus is going at the religious people who think they're making themselves right with God by keeping some self-described standard and thinking they're living up to it. Jesus says, no. Now, you remember last week, I think I did it in both services last week, I said, raise your hand if you've never gotten angry. No one even thought about raising their hand. And that was one we were all happy to admit. This one's not so easy. Raise your hand if you've never lusted. If you raise your hand, I will say, thou shalt not lie. We're all in the same boat. That's Jesus' point. Week after week, he first says, look at the standard. And the standard is righteousness. The standard is perfection. That's the standard that God demands. Week after week, he holds that mirror up into our face and he says, look into the mirror and admit it. Stop justifying your behavior. Stop making excuses. Stop coming up with incredible ways to, to, to not deal with it. Admit it. You and I don't meet the standard. That's the bad news. But the good news is, 
once we realize that, once we own that, once we admit that, then we are in the position, the necessary position that he began the sermon, blessed are the poor in spirit. Then we are poor in spirit. Because then we can say, Lord, I need you. And he gives us the gift of justifying us instead of us justifying ourselves. He declares us righteous. It's his righteousness instead of us declaring ourselves righteous. He gives us what we can't do. He gives us credit for Jesus' righteousness. That's why when we sing those songs, there's joy. It's worship because we're worshiping God who does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. It's all about grace. It's all about a gift. It's all about unearned merit. It's gift merit. It's gift righteousness. He declares us righteous. He begins, fills us with his spirit, begins to teach us how to live righteously. And when he returns, he finishes the process. And we will be perfectly righteous inside and out. And so Jesus is holding up a standard to our eyes that all of us painfully have to look into the mirror and admit, I lust. Men lust, women lust. And it means that we fall short of God's standard. So the scribes and Pharisees said, hey, let's just look at the external behavior. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. Well, what the scribes and Pharisees had done, they took the seventh commandment, which is do not commit adultery. But you could also look at the tenth commandment, do not covet another person's wife. You also see in the book of Leviticus, the law that was given to Israel, establishing them as a government, as a people, said that death penalty is the punishment for adultery. And so we see clearly God's will is not is for us not to commit adultery. We're entering into the context of marriage. And the next week he talks about divorce. And his, what we see in his teaching is how valuable marriage is. And that he treasures that's a gift. If, if someone is married, we should treasure that gift and be faithful. But here we see what the, what, what the uh, scribes and Pharisees were doing. We're just making it very simple. Do not, do not get caught, is what they would say. Do not get caught committing adultery. For if you do, the consequences are harsh. You will be put to death. And then we'll see next week, they then said, well, let's see how we can also take a permission that's in the scriptures. We'll look at this more next week. But how can we take that and run with it? Because that's what we do. This is a restriction. Uh, let's not take that too serious. This is a permission. Oh, yeah, let's run with that. And so they said, if I want to commit adultery with another woman, which is a relationship with someone outside of marriage, if I want to do that, all I got to do is get divorced. And then I can. Jesus addresses that next week. And so he says, you guys are totally destroying the spirit of my will. You guys are totally ignoring my will that lies underneath these laws. You're doing what you do best, and that is do whatever it takes to get to do what your wicked heart wants to do. And so he says, we're not going to play that game. And so he's challenging their interpretation, which was, look, just physically don't commit adultery and you're good. And he says, that's not how it works with me. This is such a easy sermon to prepare. I struggled with it this week. What do I have to say? There's really not required deep theological thought here. Let me just ask you. I don't have to teach anything. Let me just ask you. 
when God says do not commit adultery, do you think without me explaining anything that he means it's okay to look at porn? Are y'all thinking? No. Okay. So, we got that loud and clear. That's not what he means. God's will is not that you just physically modify your behavior and you're good. God expects his disciples to do the messy, hard work in the heart. He expects us to do business from the inside out. Every week as we look at these verses, there's two things that we're going to do. First of all, we're going to see our need to trust in Christ, to be filled with His Spirit. And then second of all, we're going to look at the need to then being filled with His Spirit to obey His commands. And so the first thing I want to ask you to do is to challenge you is you must be born again to fulfill this command. To fulfill the command of thou shalt not commit adultery, you must be born again. Because the command includes the idea of heart purity. And you can't do that on your own. With the threat of death penalty, you might be able to prevent or keep yourself from committing adultery. But it doesn't matter what threat's out there. You're not going to prevent yourself from lust. Completely and perfectly for the rest of your life, ever. And one, one time, we don't meet God's standard. We need to be born again, declared righteous, filled with the Spirit of God, and worship Him for that. And that is key to feeding the flames of fighting sin. And that's where he goes next. Look what he says. What are we supposed to do about it then? He says then, verse 28, but, every, but I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in her, with her in his heart. If your right hand causes you to sin, tear it out. Throw it away. In verse 30, And if your right hand causes you sin, cut it off and throw it away. This is gory. This is weird. What does Jesus mean by this? Origen, one of the famous theologians of, of, of history, have, he literally castrated himself and went through self-mutilation thinking that this would make him right with God. Is that what Jesus is saying? Do I need to theologically interpret this for you? Does anyone think that's what Jesus is saying? No. He is using hyperbole. He's using exaggerated speech. Why? To make the severity of the situation clear. He says with severity, you must gouge out the eye. You must cut off the hand. In Matthew 18, he uses the same phrase, but he adds the feet. He says, you must cut off your feet, your eyes, your hands, your feet. I don't need to interpret this. What is he saying? When it regards to lust, what is he saying about the eyes, the hands, and the feet? What is he saying? Stop looking, stop doing, and stop going there. It's not complicated. But our wicked heart wants to complicate it. Our wicked heart wants to justify it, wants to make excuses, wants to say, well, wait a minute, I'm a man, I got needs. Wait a minute, there's commands about how my wife is supposed to relate to me, and if, if she's not doing her part, surely you can't expect me to be faithful. Justification, excuse after excuse, and Jesus says, I don't, I don't play that game. You must deal with this severely, is what he says. So, 
He's telling us the eyes are the source of many temptations. What you read, what you type, what you look at on the computer, where you go, what you listen to, brings many temptations into your life. And he says, if you are looking at something or doing something or going places that leads to lust in your heart, stop. Stop looking. Stop doing and stop going. It's that clear. There's not a deep theological teaching here. Other than the gospel is radical, but what this really is, is a a deep application that Jesus is hitting us with very practical things. He's saying, once you get the gospel to disciples, I need you to stop making excuses and be different. I need you to start taking some practical steps and carrying them out so that you are different. It's fueled by the gospel. It's it's. It's inflamed by the grace, the the joy of the grace of God, tasting the goodness of God so that you see how worthy and wonderful he is, that the temptation to sin is not as appealing and not as powerful over your life. And there's a lot of strategies to thinking through this. And we're going to post materials because I don't have time to go into all of those, but we're going to put materials out there that, that give you a lot of help thinking through the practical implications. But I feel like I just have one thing to say today. Stop looking at it. Stop doing that. Stop going there. Stop making excuses. Stott probably had the most helpful thing that I would say, reading a commentary on this, and I think this is insightful. He, he spent a, a good amount of time about the imagination. The imagination is a gift from God. It's where we get art, we inspire, it's, it's where we create and, and dream, and it's a beautiful thing. But the imagination, the, the eyes feed the imagination, that's the portion of the heart that we could think about, especially on this issue. And he points out, I think he's right to say, that I don't think that anyone has ever committed adultery who didn't first have imaginations about it. I don't think anyone has ever committed sexual sin, impurity, without first imagining it. And it's in the imagination that the enemy says, this is going to make you happy. It's in the imagination that the enemy says, this is a better way. That God's holding back. But the scriptures remind us of the truth. It's not better. That's why the Lord says, don't commit adultery. I can tell you, ask anyone that you know who's either been affected by adultery, has committed adultery, or, or have the, their spouse committed adultery against them, or was a part, was a single person, a married person. Ask anyone involved if it was worth it. And if they're honest, they'll say, it was terrible. It is destructive. It is awful. It is wicked. It is not worth it. And that's God's will. God's will is good for us. The enemy says it's worth it when it's leading to destruction. The enemy says it's not that big a deal. And so it's really a straightforward message today. Stop making excuses. 
When we think about this, we realize the value of community. You can look around the room and guess what? Everybody's already confessed. We've all lusted. It's a safe place. It's a safe place to ask for help. It's a safe place to say, I'm in the same boat you are in. And so there are very practical steps that we have to take. Job, in in the book of Job, Job said this uh, along these lines. He says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? I've made a covenant with my eyes very practically. I know that my eyes gazing at a woman leads to the lust, which leads to outward sinful behavior. And so I'm going to cut it off at the root. I'm going to make a covenant with my eyes. I'm not going to be okay with looking and looking. Now, we know God has given us attractions. That's not sin. That's God's gift that leads to relationships, which leads to marriage, which leads to glorifying God. But what he is saying is when we allow that to become an inordinate desire for something God has not given us, it's sin, and it leads to sinful behavior. And so he's saying, listen, cut it off at the source. Men, you say, I can't not look at a computer. I've got to work. He says, cut it off and throw it away. It is better to do that than to go to hell. Severe language. What is he saying there? That if you look at porn, you're going to hell? Maybe. And that's really what he's doing. He's saying, maybe. The road to hell is paved with people sinning and justifying their sin and pointing to some prayer they prayed one day or some religious activity they did. Sin makes it harder to repent. Sin makes it harder to repent. If you don't repent of that sin now, it's harder to repent of that sin tomorrow. If you sin on that again and you allow yourself to sin more, you are making it harder for yourself to repent. And the road to hell is unrepentance. Now, we've already made it clear week after week, we're not making a, we're not making a hard ladder to heaven even harder. We're saying you can't earn your way to heaven, but if you are Going to heaven because Christ has saved you and filled you with your spirit, you will wage war against sin. The path to heaven is paved with those who are waging war against their sin, motivated by the grace that God has shown them through Jesus Christ. Didn't say you'll be perfect, but you are waging war against that sin. Is that going on in your life or are you making excuses? Guys, what does this mean for us? It means it is not okay for us to stand in a circle talking to guys and when an attractive woman walks by that we talk about her, we stare at her, we imagine and we gawk and we think all that. That's not acceptable of of Jesus' disciples. 
If you don't participate, you're going to feel weird and different. Get over it. It means, men, that we use a software called Covenant Eyes or something like that that you put on your computer that helps you not look at things you shouldn't look at. Perhaps you get an accountability partner that has half of your password and you have half of a password and you can't go on to certain things without them knowing. I never will forget the first time I used uh, YouTube. I was going to a church website. It was a student ministry page, a church I respected well, and I was reading something about their student ministry, and I clicked on it, and it went to this new area, which was YouTube. I didn't know it yet. And this area was a video of their church. And right then, on the sidebar, something popped up, which borderline porn. And I'm thinking it's the church's website. I'm like, what in the world are they putting out there? So I get it. We're going to put material out there that's going to help you do research, but research shows the next generation growing up in this technology generation is just being ambushed with it. You don't have to look for it. It's coming at you. And if you think you're going to passively deal with this, you don't have a prayer. Women. Now, Mickey says I need to address this to women in terms of shoes. <laughs> That's not true, Mickey. I think 50%. What did you quote? There was research that says 50% of females look at porn now. Traditionally, we think it's not something women struggle with. More and more, that's being proved that's not true. But the truth is, fill in the blank. What is it that your heart longs for? The terms in the scriptures are idle, inordinate desire for something that God has said, this is not in the bounds of his will for your life. And you say, I just can't help it. I just can't fight it. I can't beat this. Yes, you can. Wage war with it. God's already declared you righteous. Now with that grace, it fills you with his spirit. Now you begin to wage war with it. And you take it at the root. What is leading to the temptation? That's what I think this text is all about, is dealing with it at the source of temptation. Some people, music affects them powerfully. Listen to the lyrics. I mean, I, I hear John Sullivan preaching when I, when I say this. I was a kid and listening to the preacher at Broadmoor Baptist. And, and I remember him as a kid talking about lyrics and I'm going, really? Okay, I'm an old man now and I'm telling you, yeah, really. Everything in this culture is all about it's okay. It's okay to be excessively um, just obsessed with with love and relationships and sex and all that. That's it's okay. And Jesus says, no, it's not. And if you're going to be my disciple, you're not going to be okay with this. You're going to do battle with this. You're going to wage war against this. So we're going to try to push some material out there through every media outlet we got to say, this is going to help you fight this. But this is not a battle to do alone. It starts with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you get declared righteous and you get empowered to fight this battle. 
And then it begins with brothers and sisters locking arms, brothers with brothers, sisters with sisters, and saying, I need help. I've got sin in my heart, and I need to do battle with this. Father, I just ask for your help this morning. Lord, as we leave this place, I pray that we'll be different. Lord, I pray that we will be so enamored with your love and your gospel and your will that we'll taste and see how good you are, that the allure of sin will not be so powerful on us. And Lord, I pray that we will do the hard, nitty-gritty work that, that being a disciple of Jesus requires. I pray that we will be different, that we will help each other in this battle, that we'll do it prayerfully, the Spirit enabling us, and we'll do it cooperatively together. But Lord, would you, would you give us, if nothing else, Lord, may today be the day that individuals all over the room stop making excuses and start working towards obedience in our lives. And may this song about the just incredible way that you arrested death and began life, may it just lift our souls to wage war against sin. It's in Christ's name we sing. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.